Welcome, sports fans. You have entered the man cave of the one and only Fan Man, broadcasting from his lazy boy recliner somewhere in the Vale of Paradise known as Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey, baseball fans, I am so excited to be joined today by Matt Musico, a huge fan of the New York Mets. Matt, uh, Matt is a college counselor by day and baseball writer by night. His work has been featured at Bleacher Report, Fanside, at Number Fire, the Sports Daily, and Major League Baseball trade rumors. He's a lover of all baseball, but the Mets have his heart for better or worse. Matt is with us to talk about his favorite Mets moments. I'm so excited to have Matt on the show. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, Bill. Hang in. I'm happy to be on here tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And, uh, yeah, I'm so glad that uh, I was able to connect with you. I'm a huge Mets fan, and I know that uh, you, are, you are really involved with the Mets. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you, know, and how you got involved uh, with Mesmerized? Well, um, I started I started writing about baseball about 10 years ago now, which sounds crazy to say out loud. It's been that long. But uh, I was essentially just out of college, had nothing better to do, wanted to keep myself occupied and out of trouble. So I decided just off, kind of on a whim, I'd start a sports blog. And since baseball is my favorite sport, I figured I might as well write about baseball. So um, <clears throat> I started my own personal uh, baseball blog, and then it eventually started to snowball into different kinds of opportunities and uh, uh, eventually I think I've actually had two different since that mesmerized and my first one was uh, a long time ago I don't even remember how long ago it was I think it was in the depths of the Mets' last the Mets' last rebuild uh, with Sandy Olsen at the helm the first time and then I came back to mesmerized uh, I think about two and a half years ago now or so uh, and it's been a lot of fun just you know I get, I get to write a couple articles a week uh, all year long about the Mets and uh, it definitely helps me stay as connected as I could possibly be uh, to the team that I've been rooting for my whole life. Right. So we're going to talk about your favorite Met moments, but I got to ask you: Are you optimistic going into this year? Well, I mean, geez, how could you not be optimistic, right? I mean, I think at the at the start of every year, the the best time for any fan of any team to be optimistic is in the spring because whether you know they're projected to be a, a contender or a basement dweller, uh, there's at least that possibility that they can you know fuck all the trends and the projections and prove everybody wrong. But uh, at least at this at this certain at this point in time, yeah, uh, certainly optimistic. Really excited about what we've seen so far in spring outside of the not so great fielding the past few days. But uh, hopefully that will be cleaned up. Uh, sooner rather than later and um, yeah I mean I just I can't wait for the season to finally get started it feels like this winter was a lot longer than past ones have been even though it's been the exact same amount of time but I think in this uh, uh, this pandemic time lapse that we're in it just seems like time is a you know a never-ending type of tool that just you know everything every day is the same day so it's, uh, it's really nice to finally have baseball back on and it'll be nice when the games start to count again for regular season for sure, and um, it'd be really nice to get, you know, fans back at the game and have that have this have City Field packed with Mets fans, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, just I think the overall optimism of the entire fan base is I've never experienced anything like this in my in my time as a fan. Um, and, you know, especially had the opportunity to at least see a handful of good, really good Mets teams. But I mean, just knowing that, you know, the future seems to be so bright just with regard to what the front office is able to do and wants to do and the players are all feeling excited, uh, it's going to translate. It's going to be electric when we can finally get people back. It's going to be awesome. Yep, and uh, real quick, I won't belabor this, but uh, we got two new, you know, big-time additions coming over from uh, the Cleveland Indians with Lindor and Carrasco now, and I, and I hated to give up. Uh, Jimenez and uh, I guess Ahmad Rosario, but uh, you got to be excited about having Lindor there at short and some more uh, starting pitching. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of felt the same way, especially with Jimenez, but uh, you got to give up something to get something. And obviously, the the pros certainly outweigh the cons in this particular trade uh, with regards to what the Mets were able to hold on to from a prospect standpoint and still be able to get these types of difference makers. So, 
think Carrasco is going to be awesome, especially having him already locked down for the next at least two years at a really, really nice price point uh, with the consistency that he's had on the mound when he's healthy has been outstanding. And just being able to have that kind of aura uh, of someone like a Lindor, who is, is legitimately one of the best players in baseball. Right. And he plays for the Like, that's something that we haven't been able to say since. From an acquisition standpoint, I guess probably, I don't know, I mean, I guess maybe Johan Santana, but really more like Mike Piazza, really. Right. Right. Uh, because it's having somebody at that kind of height of their career and then also having the potential, at least, to perform while they're flushing. We don't know what Lindor is going to do just yet, but he's only like 27 years old. So we can That's only right. hope that uh, the best is yet to come for him. For sure. And uh, what's always key with the Mets is just staying healthy, right? Having that rotation, stay healthy. You know, it's almost impossible to stay healthy for the whole year, but uh, to have that rotation going you know, on a consistent basis because the history of the Mets, Matt, as you know, is they, you know, when the Mets have a fantastic pitching staff, they do well, right? I mean, the Mets history has never been having, you know, the lumber company, so to speak, as some other teams. But the key thing for all Mets teams is to have the pitching. And if the pitching, you know, be consistent and stay healthy, we'll we'll have a great season. Yeah, I mean, that's, if the Mets can stay healthy, it's like one of the, my most common <laughs> right. phrases to use in my vocabulary and stuff. But this year will be definitely be a little bit more tricky slash weird, I feel like, just because 2020 being the shortened season, especially for the pitchers. But uh, at least the front office has made it uh, part of – it was part of their offseason to-do list to at least kind of build out that depth a little bit more than, than we saw last year as well, too. So right. hopefully that will come into play because we'll probably see – you know, the sixth, seventh, eighth, maybe ninth uh, hurler on the on the starting rotation depth chart a little bit more often than we would in a typical year just because pitchers aren't as fresh out as they Right. All right, Matt. Without further ado, we're going to get to your top ten Met moments. And uh, this is great. There's some great stuff in here. So I'll, uh, I'll throw it out there. Number ten, you've got Matt Harvey's debut, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was... If I'm remembering correctly, I know it was in 2012. It was, I think it was like July 26, 2012, something like that. And I was excited, initially excited about this because even though we were still kind of like the beginning phases of uh, all of a sudden trying to get rid of some of the uh, payroll facts that wasn't really performing very much and kind of starting to build, rebuild the organization from the bottom up a little bit the way that he did, uh, this was like one of the first signals of you know the brighter days ahead. Uh, because when you think about like the 2011 and then for the most part the 2012 Mets, I mean, I guess outside of uh, Ari Dickey, like there wasn't really a whole lot to really get excited about. I guess outside of, I mean, in 2011 you had the Jose Reyes and all batting right. title, but then he left. Right. And then you know, and David Wright was still David Wright at that point, at least still a productive player. Um, but this was like you know, like, kind of like a look into the future. And you know, when you when you take a look at how the domino effect from this debut, you know, it was him in 2012, and then um, I believe it was um, I mean, Wheeler right after him mm-hmm. the next year, and yeah. then you had the Grom in 2014, and then Mass in Syndergaard in 2015. So you had this young wave of elite starting pitching kind of just coming up. This is kind of what we were promised almost. So, like. uh, so to see him, I'm pretty sure. The, his debut was during the afternoon. They were in Arizona, but I remember not being too sleep deprived while watching him. Uh, and watching him go, I think it was he first five innings and struck out like 11, 12 guys and got a right. big hit. Right. Um, it was just, it was, it, it was just really encouraging to know that like, okay, like we're going through a ton of stuff that's not so fun. <clears throat> and obviously like the past five years at that point after 06, were not fun at all with the two collapses and then all the injuries and just the underperformance and things like that. And we still had a couple of years of kind of pain to go through, but this was at least something to look forward to. It's kind of like what the ground is today, where yeah. you know every five days, or what 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 Dwight Gooden was in the eighties. Every five days, it was an event yep. when he pitched, and that's what that's what Harvey Day was, and it kind of morphed really quickly into that. Right, and it was really really cool to kind of see it start off with such a bang like it did. Right, and back in the day, I mean, the two things you didn't want to miss back in the day was when Dwight Gooden had a start or when Daryl Strawberry came up to bat. You wanted to make sure you're watching that every time because you knew you were going to see something fantastic. But, I mean, he was the key part, Harvey. You know, he was was, uh, the dark knight, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was was kind of like the, the, uh, um, 
he just he was the one that stirred the pot all the time. And I loved, and I think one of the things that really made me sad as things kind of dragged on with all of his injuries and mm-hmm. the uh, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery and things like that was that he just kind of lost that like bulldog mentality on the mound. You know, like right. like I think one of the, like the the best. Mental pictures I have of Matt Harvey is him having a nosebleed and still striking people out. Yeah, uh, like yeah. he just did not care at all. He was like, "Just step into the box, and I'm going to retire you. It doesn't matter." Uh, and I think like as things continued to build up for him, I think he just got a little. I mean, and I'm purely speculating. I just feel like he got mm-hmm. more into his head. You can just kind of like see his mountain presence wasn't wasn't the same as it used to be when he first came up. He was just that cocky, young, like hard throwing guy. Right. That would do anything to, to try and win a ball game. And not saying that he wouldn't do anything to try and win a ball game later on, but you could just tell he was just it was just different. Right. And it was just really sad because you could kinda of just tell like things kinda of just continued to weigh on him and he had those high expectations from the beginning of his career. Where whether they were fair or not. And I think they were probably a little bit more unfair than not just because, you know, when you're in a place like New York, people just expect you to always do exactly what you've always done. That's and, right. You know, when he just showed immediately what he did for those first couple of years, starting the All-Star game the next year, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was just expecting that, especially when he came back from Tommy John in 2015. He was still the Matt Harvey we thought he was. Right. And then when things started to go downhill, I think just all those expectations and the underperformance and then everything else that went on off the field, I think it just all got to him. And it was, it was really sad because I think, you know, we forget that these guys are just human beings. And they have feelings just like us and just how sometimes, you know, things that are happening in our personal lives affect us at work. It affects them at work, too. That's just right. That it's a much more visible job than ours. Right. And just because they may be making a lot more money than us, they have the same issues. Um, Matt Harvey, you know, in 2000 and 2012, 2.73 ERA, 59 innings he pitched, struck out 70. 2013, 2.27 ERA. Um, and then in 2015, 2.71. So there were some fine seasons there. And then eventually, you know, the Mets ended up uh, trading him to the Cincinnati Reds, and I was rooting for him there for the Reds, but uh, he struggled, right? Yeah, I mean, I, he's, he's never been the same. Uh, yeah. I think he, he got, I mean, he got it together enough because I think, I think the Angels gave him like $11 million that next set following winter. So, I mean, like he showed a little bit, I mean, that's probably a little bit of the magic of Scott Boris, too, just trying to pull money out of people. But, um, I mean, he was, I, from what I remember, at least, especially pitching at Great American Ballpark, he was serviceable. You know, like, not the Matt Harvey that we had grown to love. Right. Not the Dark Knight that we that we knew and loved. But, you know, he was, I think, around, like, a four or so ERA, you know, like something that would play in the back end of any major league rotation, essentially. Um, but he just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, now he's in, you know, in camp with Baltimore, and I, I saw his I think his first start was the other day. It did not go well, but hopefully, you know, it, it's the guy that I continue to root for. Just because, you know, as a former baseball player myself, obviously not to the level of these major leaguers, but still, like, you, you always kind of get a sense of, you know, it's very seldom that these guys get to end things the way that they want to end it. Right. And that's really what I, I'm rooting for for him. Just that even if it's just one more year where he's just, you know, serviceable and on the big league squad in the rotation for the entire year, like, and that's it. Then at least, like, he got one more turn, one more ride in the sun for the summertime. Like, that would be great for him. Great. All right, so let's go to number nine on your list, uh, Matt. The grand salami, the grand slam that became a single and unbelievable, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and the thing was, like, I didn't even actually get to see this happen on TV because I was, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll date myself here a little bit. You'll probably get mad at me, but I, that's, that's all right. 1999. I was, I was 12 when, when this was happening. So, um, I mean, obviously I was dejected like anyone else. Cause at that point in my life, like when the Mets won, my day was off. And when they lost, my day was terrible. Uh, so when they were down three Oh to the Braves and the NLCS, I was like, well, this is over. Like I knew nobody had ever come back from a three Oh deficit, but yeah. I knew that at least being at Shea, I had an opportunity to get back in the ball game. You always have like, a chance. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I watched the a good chunk of that game. I think how many days ago? It was like fifteen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched a good chunk of that before I was, you know, motioned to go to bed. I can't remember. It was probably a school night. So I probably, you know, I went up mm-hmm. to bed 
Um, and but I obviously, you know, I could not sleep. I had my radio on. And I was just listening while I was sitting up in bed, watching it, listening to it all all unfold. So uh, it was definitely a different experience for me because I didn't actually see the play happen until that next morning when I was able to watch SportsCenter. So uh, it was super exciting while having to be quiet at the same time, time because a lot of people were asleep. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, only to get disappointed a couple of days later when yeah. Kendrick Rogers walked into walked in the, the winning run. So, That's but right. I mean, such as life as a Mets fan, like you know, you can't always have good things. You got to have it balanced out. Yep. So to recap it just a little bit here, the game was tied two-two going into the top of the fifteenth inning until Mets pitcher Octavio Dotel gave up an RBI triple to Keith Lockhart, giving the Braves a three-to-two lead in the bottom of the fifteenth inning. The Mets loaded the bases against the Braves relief pitcher Kevin McGlinchey and Mets catcher Todd Pratt. Uh, drew a bases-loaded walk, tying the score 3-3. The next batter was third baseman Robin Ventura, who crushes a 2-1 pitch over the wall in right center for a grand slam, winning the game for the Mets and driving the Mets players and the fans into frenzied. And I remember watching this. I was bleary-eyed, you know, it was the 15th inning. And at that point, you know, I've, you know, it's like, come on, let's go, Mets. Let's end this thing. Um, and the crazy thing about it, was that he never was able to reach second base, and that's why it's a grand slam, grand slam single, because he was mobbed and he, by Todd Pratt in particular, and he never made it around the bases. And here I am watching this, and I'm wondering, oh my gosh, what the heck? Would would they please let this guy go around the bases? Because I was worried something was gonna like there was some snafu here that was gonna happen, and something wouldn't count or whatever. But it was it was crazy. Um, and because he failed to touch all four bases, the hit was officially scored a single, which is kind of funny too. But um, unbelievable moment for the Mets there, an unbelievable moment for Robin Ventura, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah and I feel like it like perfectly encapsulates uh, at least, well, probably Mets history overall, but definitely recent Mets history. When you think of like clutch postseason performances, like something like that, <clears throat> and then the next, you know, the next game they end up getting eliminated, and then like. Uh, the next one that comes to mind is any Chavez catch in 2006. And then, you know, a couple, few innings later, they, they end up getting eliminated. So right. it's like, uh, you know, what, what could have been, I mean, these were already like, these are already terrific moments in franchise history. Just imagine what would have happened if, you know, even if they just w- went on to the next round and then lost. Right. Uh, it just, you know, it probably would have been, uh, who knows? Who knows yep. how it would have been? It, it would be looked upon now as it, instead of how it currently does. Right, right. And it's kind of funny because, you know, when Robin Ventura, he's also known for something else around here because this show was being broadcast for Valparaiso, Indiana. He was a member of the Chicago White Sox, Robin Ventura. And he and you probably remember this or saw this somewhere where he rushed the mound on Nolan Ryan. And, and Nolan Ryan put him in a headlock and just started pounding on Robin Ventura's head. And uh, every time that comes up, I keep... He's about to run out. When I see this on video, he, he begins to run out to Nolan Ryan. I keep saying, no, no, Robin, don't go out there. You know, you're going to get your – but he got he got hit pretty hard. So he's got that, but he's got something great, right? So he's got something great with the Mets and something, you know. I mean, he had a good career with the White Sox, but a lot of times people just remember him uh, for that, just like they remember Bill Buckner for bad reasons too, right? So it happens in sports. All right, so let's go to number eight, Cabrera's walk-off. Uh, from uh, from 2016. Yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, this, this walk-off happened, I think, within, like, the last week of the season or so. And uh, this was a, an exceptionally exciting game because, again, went into extra innings. Uh, I think in the top half of the 11, the Phillies uh, went up by a couple of runs. And then, of course, in the bottom half, the Mets, at least at that point, they were about a month into, like, their six-week hot stretch uh, when, after they appeared to be dead in the water. I think, like, as, as late as August 20th, mm-hmm. they were, like, under 500. They were, like, 60 and 62. Like, I had already kind of, like, mentally given up, even though I was watching all the games anyways, too. But, like, I kind of felt like, right, like, they have to go on an insane stretch just to be able to get themselves in the log card discussion. And that's exactly what they did. Um and then something like this, like it seemed like every other night somebody was doing something exciting. And right. um, there've only been very few times, you know, thinking about when City Field opened in 2009, from 2009 to now, uh, 
you could see just like pure pandemonium, like Shea Stadium style type pandemonium at City Field. And that's what it kind of looked like, uh, especially in the, just such an iconic bat flip. It's like one of those images that will forever stay in the heads of young Mets fans. Right. Uh, and I mean, I guess I'll throw myself in there as a young Mets fan. I'm young enough still. Uh, right. But like, you know, when you think about, you know, the, the good Mets team since like 2000, they've only been like a handful of teams over 500. So uh, to be able to have that, and especially be this be like one of the very, I think it was only, they ended up being one of just two teams that, uh, one of two Mets teams that have made the playoffs in consecutive years. I think it was 99 and 2000, and then 2015 mm-hmm. and 2016. That's right. Uh, so to be able to get to that point was was really cool. Even though it, was, it only lasted one game, uh, which still kind of burns my biscuits, but yeah. Um, just like, I think like that that flip just perfectly describes what those last six weeks were like. And you know, we all talk about uh, Cespedes and his impact in 2015 and 2016 because him and Cabrera came back on the same day from the disabled list at that point. And that's when really when the Mets kind of took off and started that insane six week run. But uh, Cabrera was one of the main drivers, and yeah. he ended up having one of the better one of the better shortstop seasons in Mets history in 2016. It was a really underrated signing by uh, by Alderson, how it ended up working out over the over the long haul, the whatever the entire uh, contract was signed. I think he ended up being there for like two and a half years. Right. So Cabrera hits that hit a three run homer in the 11th inning. Mets win a nine eight over the Phillies. You know, and then. And that kind of catapults them, right? The comeback win allowed the Mets to hold on to that one of two wildcard spots in the National League. And then in 2016, they were in a wildcard game against San Francisco. And um, they ran into a very tough Madison Bumgarner in that, in that wildcard game, losing three to nothing, which was tough. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, you kind of like, I mean, it was <clears throat> the even year thing was still going for the Giants. So like, had that going for them, and, yeah. And Bum Garner, so it's like you know, kind of felt like they're, the Mets were kind of playing with house money at that point. They really had no business being uh, in that in that playoff game, just based off of where they were six weeks prior. But um, I mean, there were like very few moments uh, with with just been like pure, so just so much fun to watch the Mets play every single night and just be like extremely sad when there's an off day, just because it seems like someone was doing something special every night. And that right. was certainly one of those. That's right. That's right. So then you mentioned, Matt, that the Mets went to the playoffs 2015, 2016, 2015, of course, is when the Mets were in the World Series against the Kansas City Royals and uh, ended up losing four games to one in that series. And, uh, and I remember that Kansas City Royal team. Boy, if you, didn't have a, if you couldn't get a lead on them by the sixth inning, uh, they would just shut you down. And, that was, and that's kind of what the Mets ran into, kind of a relief pitching buzzsaw there. And also they ran into a Salvador Perez who had a hot bat. And uh, so that series went by the wayside. And then you, and you kind of hoped in 2016, you know, they would they would get a little bit better, but then they had that, that wild card game. But at the same time, like you said, Matt, you know, lucky to be there in some ways too, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, and it's, um, you know, at least they, after losing the World Series in 2016, they were really able to make it back because it seems as if, at least the last two times the Mets made the playoffs, you know, well, thinking about 2015 and 2006, yeah, even though it didn't end how we were hoping it would, uh, everyone kind of had this same thought of, you know, this is just the beginning. And, you know, like we especially thought that in 2006 when you had Wright Reyes being, uh, you know, as young and as good as they are, and kind of the same thing in 2015 with, you know, that young, uh, those, all those young elite pitchers that are just kind of coming, you know, coming together yeah. and then, you know, you're thinking, all right, we're going to have them all in the same rotation for the next at least three or four years. Right. Uh, so, like, this is just the beginning. And then, you know, baseball happens and being a Mets fan happens and, you know, nothing goes, you know, how we're all right. hoping it would. Um, so, at least being able to get back that next year, kind of at least, not that it validated it in any way, shape, or form, but it was better than. Uh, than just having that one trip to the postseason and then not having anything else, even right. if it only lasted one day. One of my favorite Mets moments, um, you know, being living out here, being a Mets fan, and about a about a forty minute ride from Chicago was what what the Mets did to the Chicago Cubs, and the Daniel oh. Murphy show in the playoffs <laughs> against them, knocking them out of there. 
Yeah. I, oh, I mean, I'm sure, especially with, because I mean, that was the year before the curse was spoken. So, right. I mean, like, there was a lot of, uh, probably a lot of Ajuda just trying to get to the World Series. Yeah. Like, they hadn't made it to a World Series since, like, what, 1946 or something? Oh, like, no, 100 years. 19, oh, yeah, 100 years or so. <laughs> well, I mean, just, yeah, just, get, just getting to the World Series. Not even oh, getting to it, yeah. <laughs> right. Winning yeah, it was 100 yeah, years. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, that's, that's, that's crazy. Right. But, yeah, I mean, Daniel Murphy was just on another level. I he mean, was. Like, he was be, unstoppable. <laughs> and I thought the Cubs, I thought the Cubs were going to sign him because I think, if I remember, wasn't he a free agent after that season? He yeah, might. Yeah, yeah, and I thought for, I thought for sure after that series, figuring the way he was hitting yeah. the ball in Wrigley, they were going to sign him, but they didn't. You know, they were very caught up in their own stuff. But then they go and win the World Series. You know, with that young team they have, and kind of a parallel to some of the Mets stuff that you were talking about with the Cubs. And I won't get on a tangent about the Cubs because I'm a Mets fan, and you're here. But the the thought is that team. You know, they. They're not the same anymore either. They won one World Series, and thank goodness they had a good extra inning in Game 7 against Cleveland, or they'd still be talking about how they didn't win a World Series. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's crazy, you know, the best laid plans. Sometimes right. It never, it, never, it never worked out. I mean, like how you said, though, they at least won one. And, like, right. you got to be thankful. I'm sure everyone is thankful for that. But, you know, that was definitely, you know, after they won, I'm sure everyone was thinking, oh, this is just the beginning of this dynasty. Like, look yep. at these young guys. Yeah, and one of my most disappointing seasons as a Mets fan was a year after the Mets won the World Series. You know, in 87, I thought they would go back. And then in 88, they ended up running into uh, Oral Hershiser and a tough Dodger team there. And, you know, it's tough. You got you to be thankful when you win. You know, enjoy it because it doesn't always happen. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Right. All right, let's go to number seven. Um Let's go to number seven. The Mets dominate and have a dominant West Coast road trip in June of uh, 2006. And I forgot about this. This was this was huge. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, I, I've i always had this road trip in the back of my mind because I always tell people that, you know, when I think about the most fun I've ever had from start to finish in, in a season as a Mets fan, it's definitely 2006. That, that crew was so fun to root for, and they were so good for so long. Uh, before they ended up falling just short. And so I've always had, like, I never, like, actually looked it up. But I just remember, I I was in the middle of college, I was home, it was summertime. I just remember them, like, completely dominating this West Coast road trip and then coming back and just being, you know, just being able to coast the rest of the year. And during the, uh, you know, the initial parts of the COVID shutdown when there were literally no sports, and it's not the right twice a week about the match. <laughs> it was really a challenge to try and pull a bunch of different things uh, to you know to actually write about. And then I remember this one. I was like, oh, let me look look this up a little bit more. And um, you know, obviously their year got off to a great start. I think they were like ten and two in the first twelve games, and then they kind of just like they kind of you know, like treaded water for the most part. Like after um, uh, after April, I think they were like sixteen and eight at the end of April. And then by the time they got to the beginning of June, they were still, they still have like a four and a half, five game lead in mm-hmm. the East. But, yeah. um, you know, they weren't, they weren't nearly as dominant as they were at the start of the season, for sure. Uh, and then they went out West. It was the, well, it was just two games out or two, two series out West. They had the Dodgers and Diamondbacks and they came back to the Phillies. Right. Going back home. And they took two of three from the Dodgers. And then it was, it was the series in Arizona that really ticked out in my mind because they, they swept all four games of the series. I think they outscored them like, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was something like 37 to 9, like something like that. Like it was just like supremely dominant. And right. I think Beltran was one of the ones that was right in the middle of everything. Like most of the time he was over the first few years of his career. Uh, and then they came back and they swept the, swept the Phillies as well too. So they were 9-1 on that road trip. And then it just seemed like they just coasted through the rest of the year. Like they just completely dominated everybody. Uh, and that was like the message. Uh, you know, I think Tim Kirchner is the one that always talks about those circle, circle the, uh, the date on the counter type moments. And right, that, I right. think, was certainly one of them for that team, uh, where like they just kind of asserted themselves in a certain way where they, 
you know, prove to the rest of the league and probably also themselves. She was like, hey, like, we're for real. Like, we're uh, a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, whatever happens in the playoffs is going to have to come through flushing. And, and it did. That's right. uh, unfortunately, it didn't go, go the Mets way. But, I mean, man, that team was just so fun. And, like, you know, we think about, like, 2006 and 1999. Uh, like, those teams were so, so good and had such great players. And it's just such a shame that, uh, they didn't at least get to the World Series because they would have they would get more attention than they already do. Uh, right. And when we talk about Mets history and some of the greatest Mets. Yep, and the Mets that year in 2006, they made it all the way uh, to the uh, National League Championship Series, played the St. Louis Cardinals and went seven games. And unfortunately, uh, St. Louis put up a two spot in the ninth inning and ended up winning that game and, and closing the Mets out. But... This was amazing. This uh, this West Coast road trip, and the Mets did not. You know, you said the Mets were nine and one, and the Mets, you know, didn't win as many as this since April of two thousand. So, you know, that was a big moment there. And again, it was one of those like Kirchner said, it was one of those moments that you circle the calendar around. And every season, it's like that, right? You can go to a point in time, um, you know, and one of the one of the best things that you always hear about the Mets was the 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 time the uh, the circle date in 1969 was when the Black Hat went out there in Chicago, against the Chicago Cubs. When that Black Hat came out there, and it was lucky Leo DeRoches, the manager for the Chicago Cubs, he sees a Black Hat, and it was over, man. The Mets, that's all the Mets needed after that. They were on their way. So uh, every season, right? And it seems like, right, Matt, you always need you always need something, right? And sometimes if it's luck, I don't think a team has ever won a World Series without getting lucky along the way, too. Yeah, I mean, you know... you got to have everything. Yeah, I mean, the long, long regular season, usually, outside of last year, kind of, you know, it really... It, it separates the, you know, the real contenders from the real pretenders. But yeah. then once you get to October, I mean, anything can happen. You know, and, and, right. you know, even when, like, if you have some of these wildcard teams just catching fire right at the end, and they just keep rolling. And, uh, you know, like, it just kind of, you know, it matters... It really matters, you know, at what kind of space headspace just the team is in uh once they get to october because that that really kind of uh plays a huge role in how far certain teams go uh and just kind of building you know we can't quantify momentum but it's there and, it, and it's it's a real thing it just continues to build and build confidence and you know it gets to that point where it doesn't really matter who's doing what on the opposite end just you know that team is just certain that they're going to right. find a way to come out on top Right. I think that was a 2006 match yep. for, for a good chunk of the, for the majority of the year. Just it never felt like they were out of it. I mean, I, I should probably, if I ever have time to do this, I want to do it because I feel like I would love to know how many times they scored in response to the opposite team score. It felt like it happened all the time. Right. Like if they, if they were at home and the team scored in the top of any inning, it seemed like in the bottom of the inning, they didn't always erase the deficit, but they at least chipped away in some degree. Yep. Just that never, never say die type of mentality. And it just felt like it was super prevalent in 2006 more than uh, many of the other years that I've ever watched the Mets and paid attention to them. Right. And that attitude that you mentioned, the never say die attitude, is one of the things that you need. I mean, every team that wins, that gets into a World Series, gets deep into the playoffs. You got to have that, you know, you just have to have that. And uh, that Met team certainly did. So let's take a look at number six on your list. Uh, Duda's walk off home, well, walk off against the Yankees in 2013. I got to ask you this, Matt. Um, and I don't know, I, might, I don't want to put you on the spot here. What's your what's your thing on the Yankees? I'm a Mets fan. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go first with this. I'm a Mets fan. My whole life, I can't stand the Yankees. Yeah, what? I mean, you know... <laughs> I mean, it, it's. My, I respect my, them, my, but I can't stand them. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my view has softened over the years. Like, I mean, because I was in grade school during, you know, ninety six through two thousand, and having to deal with all that baloney. Right. Um, just you know, being a Mets fan, I grew up in upstate New York, uh, about an hour and a half north of New York City. But I was most certainly in the minority uh, of being a Mets fan. Like, I don't oh, even yeah. really know if I knew. Maybe I knew like. All the other Mets fans of my grade could probably count on one hand. So uh, just the annoyance of being a young, impressionable kid and seeing the Yankees succeed so often certainly made me hate them. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can 
I can 100% appreciate them now as just, you know, having a little bit more of a fuller view and, you know, the benefit of being an adult and being a little bit more mature. Right. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, like, um, I don't know, like, for whatever reason, it's probably just because it's me, but, like, I get a little bored when I watch the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, they at least have, like, they have, they have a lot of great talent now, too. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, especially when you think about the Yankees, like, like pre-CC and pre-Tashera when they won 2009, like, you know, like those, like, between, like, 2002 and 2007, like, they're kind of boring to me. Uh, like, you know, like, when I would sit down and just watch a ball game, like, I couldn't get through a full ball game. I'd have to go watch something else. Right. Um, which, you know, doesn't necessarily drive with me being a lover of all baseball, but, yeah. you know, now I'll take whatever baseball I can get. It's, um, it's a little bit of a yeah, different kind of, game. Just, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I was just going to say, like, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as you, for sure. Like, I, I can respect them, and, you know, yeah. they've had 20, I just saw today, they've had 28 consecutive winning seasons. Like, you can't, I mean, even if people say, like, well, they bought that. Well, like, but still, they had to go out and do it. Like, the Mets tried to buy buy wins all the time, too. Like, think about the 2002 Mets. That didn't go very well. Um, so, like, still, they had to go out and perform, and you got to give them credit for that. Right. And I think a couple guys that kind of turned it around a little bit for me, uh, was Derek Jeter because let's face it, he's a he's a tough guy to hate. Derek Jeter, right? I mean, <laughs> it's hard to hate him. I've yeah. tried to hate Derek Jeter and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is hard. It is hard. And like when you get like you know when you get guys like that, you know, um, the Jeter, a Tom Brady, like those types right. of like guys are at the top of their game for like such a long period of time, or just like top of team success. Yep. Like, it just intrigues me to just find out, like, what makes these guys tick? Like, these yeah. guys are more, a little bit more special than everybody else. And being able to, whether it's their own individual performance or being able to help elevate the rest of their team uh, for such a longer period of time. And it's it's uh, it's really interesting to kind right. of just find out, like, you know, how do these guys do what they do? Yeah. And it's kind of funny because number six on your list, dude, is a walk-off against the Yankees in 2013 is another guy who, you know, I want to hate, but it's hard to hate, and that's Mariano Rivera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there aren't that many people that have actually succeeded against him. And, I mean, you know, a lot of people would think, when I talk to them about this game, like, why would you pick out this game? This is such a random game. Like, yes, the Mets won. But I was actually there for this game. Oh, boy, And I was there with a few of my friends. And, um, you know, every single year in non-COVID times, like, we uh, typically go on what we call baseball weekend trips where we try and just hit up as many new stadiums as we can possibly. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah, lot of fun. That's awesome. And I've really been able to check off, check off a lot of stadiums during that period of time. And um, so for this particular game, like, it wasn't baseball weekend, but we just decided, oh, let's just all go together. Just like, you know, Mets and Yankees, you know, we live an hour outside of New York City, let's just go drive down and, and watch the game. Um, and throughout the entire game, one of my college buddies was just uh, – talking constantly about Duda. And, like, he kind of just, like, does this during, like, sporting events. Like, he just, like, kicks somebody. He's like, ah, oh, he's going to do this. He's gonna do <laughs> right. Like, he's a man. Uh, he's going to – and, like, you know, once the ninth inning came around, he's like, oh, he's going to walk it off. And he eventually did. Um, so it was just, like – I mean, and obviously you had, you know, Murphy get the hit and then Wright get the, the game time hit before Duda actually walked it off. So, like, being able to string a number of hits, and none of them were particularly hard hits. Right. Um, especially the first couple. Uh, to be able to string all those hits together without recording an out uh, against Mariano Rivera was yeah. incredibly special. Right, and that's pretty amazing, amazing feat. And I like the way you characterize that because it's a string of hits. Because once in a while, if you get lucky, maybe Mariano will throw one or two bad pitches. But here you had a string of hits, and that doesn't happen to Mariano Rivera. The only the only thing I remember, the only chink in his armor besides this, this game I could think of was uh, – the game against Arizona, the Diamondbacks in the World Series, where I think he gave up a bloop single, and Arizona ended up winning the World Series in 2001. Otherwise, he'd have another World Series ring. But this was a special moment for the Mets. You know, it was his last game too, right? In City Field, Rivera. Um, I thought know, it was. I'm not sure. I, it might have been. Yeah. It might have been. Um, I think this is like one of like only the very few. Well, he threw out the uh, ceremonial like, pitch, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's so, what I mean, it was. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, it's a good. That's a good send off, I think, and especially for a mostly not too memorable season. You know, thinking about just like how the Mets performed overall in that year, like this is like definitely one of the easy highlights to pick out of that. Yep. 
All right, so let's go to number five. Jacob DeGrom's NLDS Game 5 performance. Yeah, th- I mean, this was this was so much fun to watch. And um, throughout the offseason, I just, uh, essentially this past offseason, I-, I found myself going down a lot of YouTube black holes, looking at old Mets highlights, just trying to mm-hmm. pass the time before uh, the guys came back to 14th Lucy and started to actually do real baseball stuff again. And... Uh, I, you know, I watched some highlights from this game again, and I remember being super, super nervous just because, you know, I think as a Mets fan, you automatically think, like, they got to do it now because it's been nine years since they did it the last time. So who knows when the next time this is going to happen, even though, you know, the future looks bright at the time. Um, and, uh, like, I think just the ground's career trajectory is just so interesting and ironic just because, you know, him and uh, Rafael Montero came up at the same time but the ground was in the bullpen when he first came up before yeah. he made his debut at Yankee Stadium starting and looks great. Uh, so, I mean, like, you know, we, you know, and he ended up being the NL rookie of the year that year, and then he ended up going to the All-Star game the next year. So, like, we knew how good he was. Like, right. I knew how good he was. Um, but, you know, like, you still think about, like, well, there's Syndergaard and Harvey, and, like, you know, where, where is this guy in the pecking order, essentially? But then he didn't have his best stuff that day. Like, he, you could tell just his stuff wasn't crisp. He kept on letting runners on. And then, you know, now, especially over, from over the past couple of years, like, we saw him really bear down with guys on base and guys in, in form position, and he just battled it out. And it was just yeah. such a gutsy performance. And that, for me, um, it just really kind of cemented the fact that, like, this guy is the best pure pitcher on the, on the staff at that time. I and mean, obviously, he still is the best right. pitcher in baseball right now, too. Um, but like you could just see, like he did not have his good stuff, and he they were you know all the way in Los Angeles, so they, he didn't have the comfort of being at City Field. Uh, he just found a way to grind it out, and like that that's the guy you want to go to war with, right? Because you don't see that you don't see that as much anymore with young pitchers, no, where no. they're not given a chance, right? They pull them out of the game too before they they're even given a chance to battle. And I think that's you know that's for another show maybe, but the idea that sometimes you got to leave guys in like, you know, let these guys pitch out of jams and that's how they that's how they earn their stripes and get confidence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and we could all we all have our uh, uh our things to say probably about Terry Collins, but right. I love that dude. And like he and yes, he made some kind of dumb decisions along the way, but I think all managers do. Like, we always can find something to think about manager anyway, too, but he knew his players, and he knew what they were capable of, and, you know, knew when the right time was to try and, you know, allow them to test, to try and test them, to be able to find their way out of out of a, a jam or something like that, and, you know, I think that was definitely one of the turning, it had to have been one of the, you know, the biggest turning points for DeGrom in his career, for sure. Right, and that, that was a great moment for the Mets, um, and then pitching six innings, and then uh, uh, Syndergaard came in, and Familia closed it out, and things were all good after that there for a little bit. So that that's a good sign. And you know what was so what's so great about watching Degrom? It just brings back memories of you know some of the great young Mets pitchers of old, and watching him deal. And I'm going to be real excited to watch him this year too. And I'm going to knock on wood that he stays healthy. I know, yeah. I know. It's yeah. like always. I mean, like. One of the best qualities about the ground, though, has been his dependability, his yeah. reliability, being yeah. able to stay healthy. So, but like, yeah, you're totally right. Like, if thankfully they have, you know, a good number of, you know, up, you would imagine above average starting pitchers in the rotation this year. But he's he's the straw that serves the drink. I mean, right. They need him at the top for sure. That's right, and uh, you know, and and hopefully we'll be able to get that bullpen together. So if he's got to come out in the sixth or seventh inning, we can close the games out for him. Cause I liked it. And I feel bad for him. <laughs> what was the one year he had like a super low ERA, but he couldn't win any games. Right. Why it's like, which, which year is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's years. why this, this year I like to see him win 18, 19, maybe 20 games. That'd be great. Right. But who wins? Nobody yeah, wins 20 I mean, games like, anymore. Yeah. I mean, it'd be awesome. I mean, he's, yeah, I mean that's you know like right. he, he may he may get to the Hall of Fame just because he has three hundred no decisions at this point, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, number four, the no no by Nohan, huh? Yeah, I mean I'm sure. I mean this is this is not an uncommon great best moment for a lot of fans, but um, for me specifically, uh, it was it was really special just because of the situation. Um, personally. 
happened. Oh, boy. And while I mean, I was close with him, but mm-hmm. like, but we didn't necessarily have a, a bond over baseball specifically, although we did like baseball. Um, but um, it was, it ended up being a very like ironic slash poetic type of circumstances because uh, that weekend, I, at that point, I, I was already working full time, living in Connecticut full time, so I wasn't home a lot. Right. And um, you know, that weekend of of the Nohan, we were going to New Jersey for the memorial service. So I decided instead of just meeting my family in New Jersey, I decided I just want to go home, uh, and I'll just you know spend a night or two at home, then we'll go all together and then come back, and then we'll go to Connecticut. Um, so this was a Friday night, and you know there were like twenty something thousand people at, at City Field, and you know throughout my childhood, uh, my mom was the, was the was the biggest influencer for uh, my Mets fandom and just loving baseball. Uh, right. She taught me how to play. Uh, she was always at all my games. She showed me around for all, you know, high school games, AU game or um, American Legion games, and, you know, awesome. summer ball, and all those types of things. So, you know, on a, in a on a regular Friday night, you know, as a, you know, as a young professional living on my own, I probably wouldn't have been sitting down watching the Mets from wire to wire. But right. when I was growing up, it's, you know, I did that a lot with my mom. So I had nothing else to do, obviously, because I was just home, just kind of hanging out. So we just sat down and just started watching watching Johan pitch. And then we got through like four or five innings and we kind of looked at each other and was like, uh, something's going on here, but we're yeah. not going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like once we got, I mean, the back to catch was crazy, obviously. And then once we got to uh, the eighth and ninth inning when Terry was essentially having an ulcer in the dugout about whether he should pull Johan or not. Uh, and then he just continued to mow people down. And then that, that one final uh, change up to... I think it was the day three to, to, you know, for the 27th out. Like, it was just like, uh, just a series of, uh, of roller coaster of emotions for sure. And right. I remember, like, I was writing for, I was writing for Fansite at that point. I was, I was the editor for Rising Apple, the Mets website. So after sitting through this, I had to go upstairs and, like, recap the game. And I was like, I, wow. like, I gotta, I gotta take a quick walk. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sweaty just, palms, like, right? Everything that went on. Yeah, yeah, what's great about all of sports but in particular that's what's great about baseball and 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 sports in general but but baseball because baseball is the one sport where there's no clock right so you get immersed in the game of baseball because you don't know you know we don't we never know when the baseball game is going to end really i mean there's nine innings but does but there could be four pitching changes the game can go on for four hours but there's no time clock going on you and if like what you were saying here about your loved one and you just get immersed in the game. And that's what's so great. Of the, that's what's the beauty of sports. You just forget about, for that one point in time, you can just put some things on the shelf, not forget about those things, but just get f- so immersed in a sporting event. And certainly there's nothing like baseball when you got when a guy's got a no-hitter going on the mound. I mean, that's just one of the beauty, beauties of baseball and there's certain things in a baseball game that you don't see in other sports, right? It's just that, you know, it's you don't even you don't even care what the score is necessarily. All you're looking at is those goose eggs up there in the hit column, and it's and it just makes you just you know watch this thing. You can't wait for the next half inning to come to see if this is going to continue. And uh, I guess one of the things with me is the fact that when I see a guy throwing a no hit, you know, potentially going to throw a no hitter. I get laser focused into it because I still have the memory of Tom Seaver. Here I go again. But Tom Seaver, way yeah. back when, uh, 1969, I want to say, again, that was the same year he won the World Series. I'm hoping I'm right on that. I think I am. 
But he had a no-hitter going into the ninth inning against the Cubs, and this guy Jimmy Quails, who was like a nobody back then, got a bloop single off of him, and Tom Seaver lost his no-hitter. And I think this was the first no-hitter, right? No, no Hans first. That yeah. was the first no-hitter in Mets history, right? So it's great, right? There's yeah, other, yeah, and there's other great things about baseball. You don't, you know, like, you know, seeing. We don't see it that much anymore, but like the play at the plate, right? The sack fly, yeah. the throw from right field. Play at the plate. Those things, man, I, I, I just love when I see those things in baseball, and that's what makes it such a great sport all the way around. But this was a great – this was just an amazing, amazing feat for Santana. And um, we got another Santana coming up here on number three, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was his uh, performance in 2008 in the yep. second-to-last game at night. So um, it was like, you know, thinking about, you know, 2007, 2008, like it was like – well, it was the worst of times, and then, at least for the moment, for this game, it was the best of times. I actually was at that final, the final game of the regular season in 2007, when the Mets, when Tom Glavin gave up, like, however many runs in the first inning, and yeah. the Mets, like, officially collapsed, and I was so sad. I was like, huh. I was like, you know, I knew, obviously, it's like they had blown a horrible lead, and they didn't really deserve it, but I was like, all right, I'm going to be there when they, when they switch the division, it's going to be awesome, and then, like, after one inning, I was like, I'm ready to go home. Um, but for for this game, I was also at this game, this, this Johan uh, performance. Wow! And um, I know my my ex girlfriend at the time. It was it's very very nice for her to take me. It was a great present. Um, but you know, it was obviously my last time ever being at Shea too. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the same feeling as as the Johan performance. Like he was, I don't know specifically, but I felt like you know we were watching the game. We were like four innings in. I felt like he only threw maybe like forty or fifty pitches. He hadn't given up a hit yet. So in my head, I was like, oh, my God, are we going to see a no-hitter? Like, this could be amazing. Uh, and he really kept off – I mean, this is what really kept off an incredible year for him, his first year with the Mets. And just kind of, like, stealing the electricity of that performance and then, you know, walking down the concourse for the last time and being really sad, seeing those Mr. Met signs saying, see you soon, and knowing that it's not seeing you soon. Um, it was uh, – it was, like – Really, again, another roller coaster of emotion. Just kind of knowing, like you know, Chase Stadium was a dump, but we all say it was our dump. It was That's a great right. place to watch ball. Game. Just really right. enjoyed being there. It was just like it just had this personality, and like when oh, when it, when people were really excited, that place freaking shook. And oh it was, yeah, it was incredible. Right, uh, and being able to like walk down the concourse and with all the let's go Mets chants and oh, things like that. And I remember unreal. when we were walking out, like at, literally on every single screen in Chase Stadium was just. In, in blue lettering with an orange background, just believed. And that's all. It was just like believing that they were going to, you know, do it the next day. And obviously they didn't. But um, just kind of, you know, being able to see that performance, like, you know, that was the, the Johan that they were trading for. You know, right. like coming up in a big spot like that, like that was, that was really, really awesome. Yeah. Some great moments, you know, and of course this was one of them. But, I, you know, talking about Shea Stadium, just, you know, I mean, it was our dump. That's a great way that you put it. It was our dump, but great moments. I always used to like, you know, Banner Day. They used to have Banner Day there. Um, they'd bring in some of the old-timers on Old-Timers Day. They would bring some people in there and uh, just, you know, and doubleheaders. I mean, what could God, when I was a kid, a doubleheader. I want to watch two Mets games on TV today. Wow. You know, I mean... <laughs> You know, Bob Murphy and Ralph Kiner and Lindsey Nelson, a Rangold extra dry, the beer they used to sell at the stadium. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, just tremendous stuff. And the funniest thing, I always, this was one of the things, and we always used to talk about, is the Mets would have these giveaways, and it'd be like an 8 by 10 picture, maybe of Jerry Kuzma, Tom Seaver, Rusty Staub, and, and along the way, as the years went by, other guys, as the years went by, but uh, Bob Murphy would always say at the end, and suitable for framing. Anytime there was a giveaway, right? And suitable. So my friend would say it before Bob Murphy said it. And suitable for framing. An 8 by 11 by Cleon Jones. Suitable for framing. Just, you know, <laughs> certain things like that I remember more than anything. But, um, you know, boy, what a, what a great time at Shea Stadium going to the games. And my first game I ever – can I talk about this for a second? You don't mind, do you? Yeah. We'll wrap it up. Yeah, no. That my very first game – here I am as a little kid, right? Very first baseball game with my dad. He's, we're on the subway. I've never been on a subway before, and I'm looking around at all these people. Boy, they look different than the people in my neighborhood, right? But I'm on this subway, 
And we get to the game, and they're playing the San Francisco Giants, and Willie Mays is on the San Francisco Giants, right? And all like my dad kept, you know, like talked about Willie Mays, Willie Mays, and you know there was no TV back then for you know like there is now at ESPN and all this stuff, so you really never saw Willie Mays. So batting practice, right. my dad goes, yeah, there's Willie Mays, and I'm staring at Willie Mays. Holy cow! But of course, my favorite player back then was Tommy Agee. So I enjoyed watching Tommy Agee more than Willie Mays at the time in the batting in batting practice. Anyway, it was, I believe it was Juan Marichal versus uh, Tom Seaver. And back in those days, you weren't going to see the Mets and the Giants play. You were going to see Juan Marichal versus Tom Seaver. That's how baseball was. Or you were going to see the Cardinals. It was Bob Gibson versus Tom Seaver. It was like a heavyweight championship. So anyway, the game went 10 innings. It was nothing, nothing. And then we had to leave because there was only one more subway it was getting late, and we had to get the last subway. So we're on the subway, and it's 0-0. It's like in the 11th inning, and all of a sudden, people on the subway are going crazy. They had their little transistor radios up to their ear. They're going nuts, and my, my dad goes, what happened? What happened? Tommy Agee just won the game, hit a home run, and they won one nothing. So I'll never forget that. And, and ever since that day, as a little kid, I was sold on a Mets. <laughs> because even back then, the Yankees... Right, and back then the Yankees weren't very good anyway, so I wasn't like skewed about the Yankees. They were going through a rough period there. Their their hero back then, I think, was Bobby Mercer, um, so who was a good player, I guess. Right. All right, number two, the ten run comeback, June thirtieth yeah, I mean, of two thousand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the second half of you know one of the only only two Mets teams to go, you know. To postseason back-to-back years and I remember um you know usually I mean I was 13 years old at this point in time so like okay. when uh we're watching mess games in the summertime we usually start downstairs in like our, our family living room and then eventually um I would always like end up moving up into my parents room for a short little while just because they have tv in there so we only had a couple of tvs um that had cable at least um so we started down down in the living room. We ended up going up to my parents' room. My mom and I were just sitting there watching it again. And, you know, the Mets were getting blown out. And it was, I think it was like the seventh inning. And I was like, I think I'm just going to go to bed. And my mom was like, <laughs> like you probably shouldn't. Like, you know, like, you never know what can happen. I was like, come on, mom. Like, the game is over. Like, this is not, this is not worth watching. And so, like, I, I think I went to the bathroom. I was like, yeah, you know, I'll watch one more inning. Fine, I'll watch one more inning. Uh, and then obviously this incredible comeback happened and she kind of just like looked at me afterwards and it was, uh, it was just one of those, it was that like one initial moment where I was like, yeah, like it's not ever over until it's actually over. Right. <laughs> you right. know, like one of those, like when you're in a party, like, you hear <laughs> yeah, you hear those things all the time, but it's like, yeah, like whatever. But when you see it actually happen, you're like, holy smokes, like this is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, like, you know, when I was growing up, like. And, and my dad would take us to the, to the ball game. Bless his bless his heart. He uh, was one of those people that likes to beat the beat the traffic. So we never usually watch the entire game in person. Uh, right. We at least like have it on the radio on the way home. Yeah. Um. So like, but now like whenever I go to a game, we don't we don't leave till the game is done. <laughs> like we deal <laughs> we deal with the traffic. Like that's fine. Like it's just like you know like especially like after like experiencing some of those types of things, just even just watching on TV. Uh, just one of those uh, those life lessons. Again, you know, we talk about baseball being a metaphor for life. Like that was that was oh, a life yeah. lesson. Like you're never actually out of it, even when your back's against the wall. Like you can figure out a way to kind of just turn things around. And that Piazza home run and the fist bump going down first base. Like I mean, you don't talk about iconic. Like that that was iconic. That was awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that. That's amazing when you're sitting there watching a the comeback like that, and you just know once. That momentum is there. You just knew they were going to end up coming back and winning the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Like that was just a formality at that point. Because I mean, you think about the Braves. Just their their sales were so deflated at that point. Yeah. It's like they're probably like, just let's just get this over with. <laughs> right. <laughs> get home. And one of the greatest names in Mets baseball history played played in that game. Benny Agbot Banyani. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What a fan favorite, man. He was awesome. Yeah, he, he was. He was. All right, so let's get to number one. David Wright's World Series home run. Good old David Wright, huh? Uh, 
yeah. I mean, obviously, many people's favorite. Definitely my favorite. I mean, my my firstborn's middle name is right for a reason. I was able to kind of uh, oh. convince my wife to be able to do that. Awesome. Because I was like, we need. I was like, we need to be able to have some kind of like mess theme in there, but I don't want it to be Shay because everyone names their kids Shay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you, and you don't you want know, it to be Mookie. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I was like, well, how about right? She's like, yeah, okay. It's like, yeah, that could work. It's a middle name. It's like, all right, cool. Um, but uh, I mean, this this was awesome for all of the obvious reasons. But also, my wife and I were there for this game. Um, wow! Like with the, it was actually That's a funny great. story with the way that it happened. Was when the Mets made the playoffs. I was talking to my brother, who's also a Mets fan, and I was, and we had this this conversation. We've talked about already. Who knows when this is going to happen again? We gotta yeah. try and at least get you in a game. We neither of us had been to a postseason game before, yeah. uh, and obviously with the Mets, there's a very limited number of opportunities to be able to do that. So uh, I was like, all right, fine. Like I'll I'll try and I'll see what I can do and try and just like get us at least like I'll get us a a pair of tickets to a game. And you know, me being uh, you know I was an adult, obviously, but still like I had no idea what I was doing, uh, and I like mistakenly ended up. I, I mean. I ended up, we ended up getting like a 20 game pack for the 2016 season to be eligible for postseason access for the year before. But I didn't realize like I bought all the home games for the entire 2015 postseason. Uh, so like, I kind of like mistakenly kind of stumbled into that. Wow. Um, so I was like, well, okay, well, I guess we have, hopefully we'll have a busy October and we'll at least be able to enjoy this. Yeah. Uh, and maybe sell some tickets here or there, depending on what, what happens. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we just kind of, him and I went to a couple of, we went to both of the NLDS games together. They were back-to-back nights. And then after that, like, my wife and I would go, and then he would take his now wife go to the other games. Mm-hmm. We were just switch off. Um, and we were thankfully there for game three, the only win of the World Series. And, uh, we were actually in, we are uh, down the left field line, like, up in, like, I think, like, the fourth conference section, something like that. Um, but we, got, you know, got, like, a really nice view of David Wright having, you know, the performance of his lifetime in the World Series, you know, the type of performance that he's deserved to have had for so many years at that point. Um, it was just, it was so cool. Like, that, like, City Field was rocking like Shea was that night. Like, oh, that yeah. was so cool. Like, I remember, like, it was, I think it was the first inning of that game, or maybe it was the NLCS. I can't remember right now, but, like, after whomever was pitching that night, like, got out of, like, I think it was maybe, like, second or, second or third uh, jam or something like that. Complete stranger next to me, he like gave me a high five. I think my hand still hurts from that high five that I got from him. <laughs> it was just, it was like so, so terrific. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being able to see David Wright do what he did in the World Series in person, like oh. that, that is a, it was a bucket list kind of thing that I never thought I'd be able to, to actually see. Right. And there's nothing better than that being in the ballpark when one of your favorite players, you know, basically puts his signature. On a, on a game and a signature on his career there, and that's certainly what happened with David Wright. And David Wright, man, he was a, he had some great years there for the Mets too. And I always enjoyed David Wright. And David Wright was a class act, you know. Yeah, he really was. Actually, I'm I'm staring at his uh, at his memoirs right over here because I, oh, I got wow. it for Christmas. I just started it a little while ago, but I haven't had a chance to really like get into it. So I'm still like in his in his early days as a as a youth baseball player in Virginia, but. Um, yeah, he's, he's another one of those guys that it's like, you know, just like you want to get into that mentality. Like, how did you, how did you become the way that you became? Uh, and like, you know, when you think about his trajectory from like 2004 to 2008, uh, and like, you know, especially his 2007 season, like the fact that he didn't win MVP that year, it was only because the Mets collapsed that he didn't mm-hmm. win the MVP that year. Yeah. Um, but and without his performance down the stretch, like the Mets wouldn't even wouldn't have even had an opportunity to blow it on the final game. Right. Um, he was definitely, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I feel like he was on that Hall of Fame trajectory through those first few years. Oh, sure. Or Easily. Did he feel open and then he got started getting hurt and then, you know, kind of everything started to unravel from there. You know, like that 2012-2013 period when he kind of, you know, kind of returned to that, like, you know, 15 to 20 homer, you know, high on base guy. Mm-hmm. I think he was worth like five or six at four or something like that. Like, you know, all-star you think like okay, like now he can like kind of kick it up into another gear for that last half of his uh, last half of his career, but obviously, but unfortunately, it didn't happen. Right, right. And Matt, you know what? We've got through the list. 
We made we it. We did. We did. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And Matt, it's been fantastic having you on tonight. And uh, I really enjoy the time, you know, reminiscing here. You're listening to your stories. And I love the way you incorporated your family in those stories. You know, everything was more than just baseball. It was the relationships that you had at these games. And you were very fortunate. You went to some big Mets, a lot of big Mets games there that we talked about. And why don't you tell everybody again where they can find you, your articles, and I know you got a Twitter page. Why don't you give yourself a shout out there? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, you can find all my Mets-related writing at mesmerizedonline.com. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm M Musico H. Uh, I talk about a lot of different baseball things, but mostly yeah. spend time talking about the Mets, uh, just because obviously that's what takes up most of my mind and, and uh, most of the, most of my free time at least. But, yeah, come and find me on Twitter. Let's talk baseball. All right, Matt. And uh, we're going to close up shop. But, again, I appreciate you. I had a great time uh, talking with you. And uh, hope to see you again. Yeah, likewise, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Have a good one. Bye, you too. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Fan Man. You can find The Fan Man at Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and several other platforms. Thanks again for listening to this episode. And if you like what you heard or dislike what you heard, check out the Fan Man Twitter page, the Fan Man, at the underscore fan underscore man underscore, and tell me what you think. (laughs) 